You are listening to Paz de Chipotle, the show that will take you to discover the edible treasures of Mexico, episode 3. This week, we'll talk about stewardship of culinary traditions, how recipes, cooking methods, and knowledge is created and transmitted through generations. We'll literally take a literary approach to the intimate world of a fictional family kitchen in the critically acclaimed novel Like Water for Chocolate by Mexican author Laura Esquivel. And the hot topic this week are chiles, because trust me, there's so much more in life than just red or green. Hello everybody, you are listening to Paz de Chipotle, the audible companion to Sabor, This is Mexican Food Magazine, the tastiest combo to guide you into the kitchens, markets, streets, and traditions that make Mexico an edible paradise. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food historian, cook, and author. You can find more information about this project at pazdechipotle.com. Find the show on Twitter as Chipotle Podcast. I am absolutely thankful with all the listeners who got in touch. Thank you for your comments and feedback. They are much appreciated. Now, let's get on with the show. Food is a fundamental part of our identity. And from the moment we are born, we learn to recognize the flavors of the substances that keep us alive, such as breast milk, our first solid foods, and even fresh water. From our early infancy, our palate is shaped by our family's cultural heritage, their tastes, preferences, and even aversions, but also the availability of ingredients and methods of food preparation. For many Mexicans, the smell of chamomile, aniseed, or lemongrass might evoke the taste of milk infusions that their mothers or grandmothers fed them with as children to soothe tummy aches. But I'm sure these flavors trigger very different memories across different cultures. For instance, while in some cultures they feed their teething babies with biscuits or chill fruit to no one, in Mexico babies are given roasted spring onions with lime and salt to soothe their gums, or at least I certainly was. In Mexico, Food rituals, skills, and recipes are traditionally, but not exclusively, passed on down to women. The division of labor in rural communities often includes the collaborative work of women and men, and even children, to grow, harvest, and transform ingredients. They farm, butcher, cook domestic meals, and even collectively help in the preparation of specific celebratory meals. But again, quite often, it is women who are in charge of everyday cooking, which might involve making handmade contortillas, prepare lunch for their husbands, cook special meals for children and elderly relatives, and even make special meals for sick family members. But men also participate in the preparation of grand celebratory meals, such as whole barbecues, moles, roasted meats, the making of poor scratchings, and also the drinks that will accompany those meals, like fruit liqueurs, fermented drinks like pulque or tepache, which is made with fermented pineapple, and distilled mezcales such as tequila. Still, 
We could say that women in Mexico are largely the de facto guardians of traditional recipes and cooking methods. Most of the learning process and recreation of these meals occur in the intimacy of family kitchens. But across many rural communities, men proudly take part in the preparation of food and drinks that, again, will be shared in festive events involving their families or the whole community during religious celebrations. But typically, the cooking of such equally special dishes doesn't necessarily take place in the kitchen, but in patios or open spaces where barbecues or spit roasting can be prepared. For young girls and boys to take part of soft preparations usually also marks their coming of age. In many cases, this even involves the butchering of animals and the passing on of family recipes. The reason why Mexican food was listed by UNESCO as intangible cultural heritage of humanity goes way beyond the mere deliciousness of the recipes. Let me quote, Traditional Mexican cuisine is a comprehensive cultural model comprising farming, ritual practices, age-old skills, culinary techniques, and ancestral community costumes and manners. It is made possible by collective participation in the entire traditional food chain, from planting and harvesting to cooking and eating. So, gastronomic heritage is not valued because it is unique, but rather because it's relevant for the community who owns these practices. Heritage cuisines create bonds, a sense of pride and belonging and solidarity, and these are the values that are transmitted from one generation to the next. I suppose then that is why people in Mexico are hardwired to appreciate food as so much more than just fuel, because however humble or lavish, food in Mexico should always restore your body and soul and celebrate life. We will continue with the show after this message. Hungry for more? Get your digital copy of Sabor, This is Mexican Food, a quarterly digital magazine dedicated to the exploration of Mexico's gastronomic heritage and traditions. The spring issue includes six full in-depth articles exploring the origins of Mexican traditional food, its staple ingredients and flavors that define it, and five delicious recipes to get you started into the wonderful world of Mexican cooking. Go to pazachipotle.com forward slash magazine to take a sneak peek inside this issue. Purchase your copy now and enjoy it in your digital devices. Go to pazdechipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn and enjoy Mexican food like you've never imagined. Poets and writers have long paid tribute to real and even fictional food. Good examples of these will be Marcel Proust's memorable Madeleine and Tea passage on Swan's Way, or this scene with Edmund Pevensey gorgeous on Turkish delights in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, and the obsessive tension between abstinence and greed experienced by the fictional mayor Comte de Renault, who succumbs to his desires and needs all the irresistible creations of chocolatier Diane Rocher in Chocolat. The fact is, we like food so much that we can't stop thinking and talking about it, even when we're not eating. Mexican literature also pays great homage to food. 
and today we'll take an imaginary walk into the kitchen of an all-female family in northern Mexico during the revolution in the first decade of the 1800s. In a little house in the middle of a hot, dry valley surrounded by towering mountains. This is the landscape in which a bittersweet story takes place. Like Water for Chocolate is one of my favorite foodie novels written by Laura Esquivel. This novel inspired a whole generation of cooks, writers and cinematographers to take a closer look into the intimate life of a Mexican family kitchen. Like Water for Chocolate, or in Spanish, Como Agua para Chocolate, recaptures a nostalgic view of rural Mexico, with all the right elements of a timeless tale of hope, food and love. The story follows the lives of widow Mama Elena and her three daughters who live in a remote isolated house near the US border. Their otherwise uneventful lives change forever as the Mexican Revolution draws closer to them. Rosaura, the eldest, is very much aware of the fact that she is her mother's favorite. Gertrudis has an adventurous and carefree spirit. And Tita, the youngest, is a cook prodigy. The story portrays the burden of old-fashioned, oppressive traditions, ruthlessly imposed by Mama Elena, who after the death of her husband, had to harden up and conceal every emotion to bring up her girls and run a farm on her own. From her birth, Tita was rejected by her mother and was in turn brought off by loving Nacha, the family's cook and nanny, who became the only motherly figure to Tita. Realizing the extent of Tita's skills, Nacha warned her about the dangers of pouring her emotions into the food she prepared, as the consequences could be terrible for those who were exposed to it. The coming of age of the sisters and their awakening to Romans revealed the high price the generation will pay for questioning and refusing to follow unreasonable traditions. When Tita reveals her romance with Pedro, the family's doctor's son, she then learns that according to tradition, the youngest daughter cannot marry until her mother's death and needs her duty to look after her. When Pedro expresses his love for Tita to Mama Elena, he is offered the hand of Rosaura instead, which he accepts. Heartbroken and shocked, Tita is persuaded by Pedro to keep their mutual love alive and secret, which only brings grief and pain to all. But food, and moreover, the preparation and enjoyment of it, becomes the most eloquent and powerful language for Tita to express her deep love for Pedro. Perhaps the most emblematic dish of the story is quails in rose petal sauce. The sensuality and passion poured into this preparation are a turning point in the story, as it unleashes a storm of emotions that will forever change everybody's lives. Like Water for Chocolate only has one cinematic adaptation, but this is one of those novels you really want to read and enjoy it at your own pace, especially as the book comes with all of Tita's recipes for you to cook along. The book has been translated to numerous languages. You can find the related link in the description of the show. An exclusive recipe for quails in rose petal sauce is available for the show's Patreon supporters. To find more about it, go to patreon.com forward slash chipotle podcast. We will return with the last segment of the show after this message. 
The production of Paz de Chipotle requires hours of hard work and dedication to bring you an interesting and refreshing show. To keep this exciting project alive, your support is vital. Independent creators like myself bring diversity, empowerment and opportunities to enrich our global cultural exchange, which is why the support of audiences with a passion for knowledge and creativity is essential. You can support this podcast by making a monthly donation on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash Chipotle podcast. By helping the show grow, you will also get great rewards, such as access to posts and transcripts, exclusive recipes, and even the chance to decide which topics you would like to hear in future episodes. Go to patreon.com forward slash Chipotle podcast and select the type of donation you want to make. Every donation makes a big difference. Go to patreon.com forward slash Chipotle podcast and be part of this delicious story. In the spring issue of Paz de Chipotle magazine, we explore the staple ingredients that conform the base of Mexican cuisine, and chiles no doubt are amongst them. Of the many ingredients Mexico has gifted the world with, chiles are as feared as they are loved. Did you know that the word chile comes from the Nahuatl chile? And curiously enough, the Spanish version of this translates as chile. It is estimated that every year the average Mexican eats about 13.3 pounds of fresh chiles and almost 2.3 pounds of dried chiles, which no surprisingly ranks the highest intake of chiles per capita in the world. Chiles in ancient Mexico were not only used for cooking, they were used as a remedy for tooth decay, as an antiseptic and even muscular pain relief. Aztec parents were particularly strict about their children's education. Disobedience and laziness were severely punished. They were forced to smell the strong smoke of burning chiles. If anyone has fried or smoked chiles at home, knows about the sort of pain these naughty children had to endure. According to ethnobiologists, capsicum cultivars, that is, chiles, were domesticated in America about 6,000 years ago. And it is estimated that more than 90% of the chiles that are consumed worldwide come from Mexican cultivars. The Colombian exchange introduced chiles into the tropical kitchens of South Asia, India and Africa, who embraced them almost immediately and introduced them into their traditional recipes. But many European nations were keener in using other ingredients from the Americas, like potatoes, beans, vanilla, and cocoa. The notion of using chilies was thought as too aggressive to the palate. However, multicultural regions like the Greek coastal towns, Turkey, Sicily, Venice, and even Emilia-Romana in Italy, fully embraced chilies as one of their favorite new ingredients. For Mexicans, there's only one type of chilies. Those are a picant. The rest aren't even called chilies, but just pimiento, such as bell pepper. According to studies in Mexico, there are 64 different varieties of chiles, but from those exist another 200 cultivars, and only in the state of Oaxaca exist 25 different varieties. Amongst the most used chiles, we can find poblano, chipotle, 
jalapeño, habanero, morita, ancho, guajillo, cascabel, chilhuacle, piquín, chile de árbol, and mulato. In Mexico, chiles are used in many forms and paired in the most unexpected ways. They actually reach the point to be almost unavoidable. They can be fried, ground, smoked, used raw, boiled, or roasted. And they can be used as a main ingredient, as a seasoning, thickening, and even coloring. You can find them in soups, mains, snacks, drinks, sprinkled on fruit, used in patisserie, and even to make children's sweets. Chiles not only bring up the flavors of a dish, they also add depth, warmth, and character. Apparently, they have a number of benefits for your health. They can effectively protect your body from high cholesterol levels, they're loaded with antioxidants, vitamin C, they can act as a pain reliever, boost your immune system, are rich in iron, and they have almost no calories. So, let's take a moment to be thankful for chiles as they turn ordinary meals into flavorful, invigorating, and delicious dishes. Mmm, chiles! Thank you for listening to this episode of Pasta Chipotle, a bi-weekly show dedicated to the exploration of Mexico's delicious gastronomic traditions. Don't miss the next episode where we will talk about Diane Kennedy, the English lady who came, saw and was conquered by Mexico's gastronomy. We'll find out what the Habsburg emperors ate during their ill-fated Mexican reign and we'll explore the squidgy, crunchy and chewy insects that indigenous Mexicans ate way before it was cool. Send me your thoughts about the show via email or Twitter. You can find the links and contact details on the show's description. Support the show on Patreon. Patreon is the largest platform that connects creators with bright audiences like you. To find more information about the show and Sabor, this is Mexican Food Magazine, go to pasdechipotle.com. That's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe, rate, and share the show. Goodbye from me, or as we say in Mexico, hasta la próxima, amigos. Bye.